Welcome, Ronderings fam. Very excited to have my friend, mentor, and fellow coach, Russ Finkelstein, on the podcast. Russ has been, he's one of those people who's really good at being able to connect, listen to people. And it's not the way that one might typically think that people connect, right? Um, Russ is introverted. Russ um, himself describes himself on this podcast as awkward. And those attributes have led Russ to be really insanely curious about people and just learn to deeply listen to people, which I think are the hallmark traits about why Russ has been so successful in his career. Give this a listen, y'all. going on, Ronderings family? You're in for a treat because I am talking to a mentor, a coach, a friend who I've known, boy, Russ, I think when I checked my Google calendar for our first conversation, I think it happened roughly 2016. So this has been seven years in the age of social media. This is an example of meeting someone I don't think I would have bumped into ever without the power of social media and connections. So Welcome everyone to my friend, my mentor, my coach, Russ Finkelstein. How you doing, Russ? I'm doing okay. I'm having a good day. I have, you know, unfortunately, our shared favorite sports team is doing horribly. But other than that, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm remembering that that doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme of my life and trying to put that aside. But otherwise, I am present. Not even checking scores. Yeah. That that's good because um I'm trying not to peek at my phone and seeing that yeah it's uh Yankees are in a little bit of a down right now but hopefully like everything in life what comes down must come up right that's the reverse of the phrase of course <laughs> sports always works that way so yes I'm absolutely things that teams that go in horrible losing pairs always come back and win the championship that's what we've been taught to believe at least by like Ted Lasso and decades worth of sports movies. Except for the Oakland A's, but that's where this is not a sports podcast. That's, that's <laughs> Except podcast. for the Oakland A's in 2023. Your next podcast will be how to network via your uh, love of sports. I, I've been thinking about other iterations <laughs> of rondering. So to be continued, Russ. So first question for you, Russ, what is your story? So I am a reader. I read everything. I love Short stories, novel. I just, I love everything, essays on all topics. And I find one of the most confounding things is so, what's a good story? What's a useful and relevant story? So, I've been thinking a little bit about what's the best way given the, the, the lens of um, networking. And so, I think the through line for me as I get started is I've just always felt like an outlier. I've always felt like everything, you know, I grew up in suburban Queens until I was like seven, grew up in suburban New Jersey after that, and was the second of four kids. Both my brothers, very popular, and I was the opposite of that, and was very aware of that. And so, you know, I was very, I loved watching, I loved reading books. I loved uh, watching adult programs uh, on, you know, public policy topics that made no sense for me at nine years old to actually like really get into. And mm. so I was just aware at that point, you know, had a difficult time in high school was sort of becoming aware of being gay and kind of hiding a part of myself, but just feeling like I didn't quite fit in and struggling to make friendships. And so I think a lot of my story starts there. And that continued, you know, college was a little bit better. And I realized in college, I was gonna have to drop out of school for financial reasons. At the last minute, they allowed me to stay. And I found it about this program, I thought I was gonna have to drop out that was working with uh, fifth through eighth graders in Washington DC, an educational program called the Higher Achievement Program. And I completely mm. botched my junior year, which apparently is somewhat relevant if you're thinking about going to law school in terms of my GPA and such. <laughs> and because I was like, well, why does any of this matter? I'm just going to drop out. And, and that set me off on a really weird trajectory. I ended up completing school. I ended up still pursuing this educational program 
and realizing that I loved helping other people become aware of their possibilities. Uh, I love in that program in, in DC, it was setting up this like set of interesting students have access to improv or professional hockey or public speaking or opera and like how you can go and set up relationships and partnerships with all these institutions and not knowing like my relative awkwardness. Cause I, I tend to think I, I realize that my not understanding what you're not supposed to do around who you're supposed to engage and how you're supposed to engage them just made me hyper authentic. <laughs> like just made, I was uncomfortable with everybody in the same way. And in a weird way that became a strength that people knew whatever, whenever they interacted with me, they dealt with, they had the same kind of person that no matter what your quote unquote level was, no matter what your background was, age, race, like you kind of got the same awkward guy in every possible situation. And so like, I was actually very comfortable in that context. And, you know, in DC, in that program, you know, 99% of the folks that I was working with and the kids we were serving were African-American. And that was cool. They were, people were nice. They were, it felt as uncomfortable as any other person I would have interacted with at college or high school or wherever else. And I just love the sense of possibility. Possibility motivated me. Finding the spark for people was the thing that really excited me. And that has been the through line. It's that spark of possibility for others has been the through line of what's motivated me through everything else. So I left that job, went to grad school, and then was part of the founding of Idealist.org, this big nonprofit clearinghouse started up a set of programs, how people think about, you know, work in the nonprofit sector, think about grad school, think about global volunteering. I felt very limited. I felt super limited. I was told when I was in school that I wasn't going to do a whole lot. Um, I was in the lowest track for mm. um, most of my pre-high school experience. And then they, based on standardized tests, they shoved me into the middle track. But I got that message and that message just motivated me to try to be as much of a, as a connector to see people and to let them know that the messages that they're getting from others are often limited by their, by their that there's that their limitation is about them, it, the, the, about their worldview. It's not about the person that they're giving that advice to. And so did Idealist for 13, 14 years, left that because I kind of hit a wall in terms of the work still feeling meaningful. And now I do a range of things from uh, running the coaching for something called the Roddenberry Fellowship, which supports social change founders into doing, helping to scale up their work, gives them money, gives them coaching. I work a lot with founders of social change organizations outside of that, where I'm a regular advisor to someone trying to scale on a broad cross-section of issues. And I also, I get to write a weekly newspaper thing about like careers and, and leadership. And my work kind of falls into that space. And then in any given week, I'm also having a bunch of conversations with people who are looking for a coach and I direct them elsewhere. <laughs> I just like, I don't, I think, I think that I tr try to think of things about the best use of me. And I think oftentimes the best use of me is someone who's a conduit to someone who can be a truth teller and be a conduit to someone else to say like, let's have a real conversation about this, a conversation that you might not have if you're paying someone. <laughs> and so as an unpaid person, I'm going to, we're going to gather some information and say, here are the people who might be able to help you. So that's kind of like, I think that's, that's, that's a quick version of who I am. I live in Portland, Oregon, although I'm thinking about uh, moving elsewhere at the moment. It's a, converse, a, a conversation for another time between you and I. You'll never guess where. Okay. And yeah. I mean, I, other, I'm, I live here with my partner and I travel a fair amount and, and life is okay. Russ, I, I've come to know you. There's that last part that you said about being this conduit, this true teller to connect people to other people that can get them on whatever path they need to be on, right? How did that happen? What's that story? 
I, the, the Russ that I know that I think so many people seem to say, I've had a conversation yeah. with Russ. It's kind of similar to me. I've had a conversation with Ron. I've had a conversation with Russ and Russ helped me. Like, how did it come to be? And it can't just because of I, being, being an idealist, right? I'm, I'm curious about that. that yeah. It's, so it's a combination, right? It's a combination of, I know what it's like not to be seen or valued. And so there is a part of me that feels that very easily from other people, that feels that confusion, that struggle. I will. I used to go to a lot of conferences, and I would talk about how I would meet some people who would evoke this notion of a little red balloon that's floating off into the distance. And I would then go and follow <laughs> up with them in a significant way because I felt anxious about what was happening. And it's not exactly paternalistic. It's just like, I have a really genuine, I know how easy it was that there were times when I was kind of floating off. And so I want to try to be that person who can provide hope or possibility um, in as much way as possible. And idealists didn't make it all happen but there is a presumption of you must be important or know something based on idealist. So it's this interesting thing that people make a leap about, you know, oh, well, they did this thing, therefore they must be worthy to speak with. So, so part of it is, is that, I think the other thing is, I don't really ask for much for myself. I don't have... Um, it's, it's funny, one of the hardest questions for me from other people is, you know, what can I do to help you? And for the most part, I'll say like, actually, if I happen to reach out to you to talk to someone, you know, I just ask that you'd be open to that. But overall, I think that there is a desperate need that people have for human connection. Um, and that's based in part on, you know, what I felt but also based on what I hear from people all the time in these conversations about how isolated people are and how hard it is for them to find someone to have a conversation with. And that happens at all levels, at all ages. And so I, I use this, this uh, there's this thing, there's a standard that I set for myself that I always say I never would force on anybody else because if someone else came to me with this, I'd be like, well, that's ridiculous. But I'm allowed to lie to myself in that way. That's one of the, the, the brilliant things about being me. Uh, and so one of the things that I tell myself is, <laughs> what's the best use of me? You know, what's the best of who I am? What's the best use of whatever standing I have to, to make a difference in the world? That, that best use of me is something that's really sticking with me now, Russ, because I've been thinking about that for my own legacy and the conversations I've had with you about what am I building for my next 47 years? Yeah. And so let's go with that question, right? You know, obviously you using this concept and understanding of being an outlier, being uncomfortable with everyone to spark possibilities for others seems to be a best use of Russ. What are other best uses of Russ when you think about where you like to spend your time? I mean, I usually just stop and, and I start and stop right there because that's that keeps me very occupied. I think mm. the, the other stuff that I love I love playing around with new concepts. Like I can go zero to 60 on a new idea. I love things that fill voids. So I spend a lot of my time with people who are playing around with an idea. It really helps if the idea is very new, unprecedented perhaps, and, and also that the person has standing, you know, that they're thinking about something that's at the intersection of things that haven't been thought about in that way. So like that, that gets me, I am, have, have a weakness for struggle. <laughs> I am much more chatting with someone yesterday about like, you know, the truth is I, I would rarely choose to work with folks who kind of bring a specific kind of alpha personality stuff. I feel like what they want is a specific kind of interaction. Uh, and so I usually choose people I'm very cool with messy, but I also, I care very much about like someone being, you know, someone who's decent and perhaps is trying to work their way through a set of things and work in life that are challenging. And I try to bring some order to that. So it's usually, it's like, it's, it's a, the opportunity to, to use empathy and structure simultaneously is probably like 
a best use of me ultimately. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's it. I mean, it, you know, when we were chatting before the call a little bit about your next steps, like there is. So having said that, there are choices yeah. I've made that are, let's go with arguably, because anything could be argued, may not be yeah. the best choices for a human being or might be a choice that I might have a conversation with someone about. I have money as a tertiary consideration of mine. I have being known as secondary or tertiary. I really want to do the work with good people that will make a big difference. And there are trade-offs for that. There are trade-offs for the Mm. time that I will give to people that will never be clients, but I'll help them find a coach. That's time. And time has to come from somewhere. So, you know, sometimes the best use of me is I have a lot of patience to take more people through a very specific part of the journey that I'm not going to monetize that other people would. And I wouldn't ever fault them for that. Yeah. How have you reconciled that trade-off? Because I'm not saying, Russ, you're the only person I know who does that. I think people make all kinds of trade-offs in how they're using their time and providing a service to people, right, which has a value that folks could monetize, right? But walk the audience through what that set of trade-offs has been for you. Sure. I mean, I don't... I mean, I can walk people through it. It's, it's probably going to, once I do it, I'm probably like, oh my God, what have I done? So like, what I, <laughs> it's mostly, I'm not going to say fortunate. Let's just say I'm flexible. I don't have kids, which is a huge shift around time-based decisions that one might make, right? So that's, that's, that's absolutely a thing. And I'm very much fed by the work that I do. Um, and, in, and in many respects, I think of my work as, I mean, kind of an act of love in some ways. It's the, it's mm. the greatest manifestation uh. of the impact I'm able to have in the world. And so, you know, part of the thing of helping someone who's stuck or struggling or feels alone or isolated is just like, yeah, I mean, people have these, the problems you're having, people have, and they find ways to get through them and let's talk about it and let's normalize that. And let's figure out like what the way is that let's figure out a couple steps. So you feel less like you're flailing or you're stuck and let's try to create a notion of the work of the way ahead. So, you know, the trade-off is, you know, my financial situation is less solid than others might be. I also have more time flexibility in some respects in terms of who I devote time to. Um, I don't necessarily, whoever I work with, it's, it's typically joyous. Like I really love the people and I have a, I have a very, you know, even in, in the way that I work where I'm on retainer for a bunch of different institutions, those relationships are a mix. You know, I would call most of those people aside from being clients, I would call most of them friends as well. It's sticky Mm. and it's messy and it's different. And for me, it's the choice that I've made. And hopefully that's the right one feels like the right, the right one. There may be a time when I realize I've made a disastrous decision that I've gone all in on because yeah. we don't know. But I don't worry about that. It's not a thing that I, that comes up as, oh my God, what have I what have I done to myself? So I think that's uh, that to me is one of the indicators, right? Like worry, fear, anxiety tend to come up in those moments. And that's an indicator of like, oh, there's something here you need to be careful about. And so, yeah, I think that's allows me to kind of extend myself permission. It goes to this idea of like, wow, we define wealth, right? Obviously, I think, Russ, the way that you're defining your wealth is this joy that you get and the having the autonomy and flexibility to pick the clients that you want and also determining who's paid or who's unpaid. Yeah right? Is that that feels very freeing to you, right? I think that's like, we've had these conversations over the years. I think that's where I am, right? I still very much love to talk to people no matter what. I I still have a hard time. I think it's the right tension for my values to have to say no to someone who's come to me directly saying, Ron, I am stuck in my career in some way, shape or form. And just like you, LinkedIn messages, 
referrals from people. People know that I do this stuff, that I love connecting and helping people. And so I get all kinds of folks. It's just like this big tent of people similar to you. And I think the way I've reconciled it is that it fits really neatly. Yeah. Well, a little messy, admittedly, within the business development and executive search practice that I have full time is that my conversations with people mm-hmm. is part of my brand, talent advising, career advising, being yeah. really generous, being a connector ties into, well, those are the kinds of things we want in hiring a firm yeah. or Ron Rapitalo through Agility and his team because of these concepts of builds really deeply listens to candidates, deeply listens to clients too, and so does his team. It was a hell of a lot of people. People trust them. People yeah. trust the team. People trust the, it's all these things kind of, you know, one of these ways is just like, I couldn't go back to my college years and say, wait a second, this skill that I've had of relationship building and trust building is something I would have thought would fit as needly, messily within this executive search practice that yeah. I have, right? And yeah. so yeah. if I ever you went back to you in college, like, you know, Russ, what what paths did you see for yourself back then, right? Because it's out very learned, reading a lot, really extremely curious about the world. And you... So I thought I was going to go to law yeah. school before I kind of bombed out on that. I mean, I, I did take uh, the LSATs just for fun, and I fortunately did well. But again, my GPA was like probably sub 1.5 for my first semester junior year when I was like, they're telling me I have to leave, so why do I care? Uh, which wasn't perhaps the most mature response. I actually, the interesting thing when I think back to how it connects to networking, how it connects to relationships now is I didn't judge people. I was curious about, like, I didn't have a lot of friends. In college, I suddenly had this very large, very strangely eclectic group of friends because I found everybody interesting. So I could be Mm. in a space and meet lots of different people. And there wasn't a judgment or assessment of like, you know, oh, this person's more important than that person. I just thought that they were all interested because they were all new to me. And I think a lot of it, a lot of it is like that ability to go in without necessarily judgment, but more curiosity. So even now when I have conversations with folks, it's further afield, you know, a couple decades from there. But I actually find myself, I don't judge people's decisions or goals. I mostly judge the alignment to what they say matters to them and what they do to realize it. And I think that's, I think that distinction is really interesting. Like it's that, like I get, so I think the weird thing is I am both empathetic and also annoyingly hyperlogical. And those two things are really a weird like combo platter where I'm just like, okay, I want to understand, I want to understand, no judgment. But if you're saying X, how can X and Y coexist simultaneously because there's a tension there? Like, what is that? How does that, how is that workable? And so it's often noticing those things without a judgment about right or wrong, but rather like it's going to be hard to do both those things simultaneously. Do you see that? And so what, like, how do we work around that? Is there one a greater priority? So it's a lot of it is just like, I think college me was in, would spend time with people who hated one another, (laughs) who would never spend time with one another. But I was just like, oh, it's great to have friends. And they're also different and their interests are also varied. And so Mm. I just found, I just found people really interesting and I felt like in some respect, I had such low self-esteem that I wasn't in a place to judge anybody. I was just happy to understand like people and their approaches and like how they get by and what their story was. And so I think that probably more than anything, I think that thing and perhaps this like recognizing that I didn't know what I wanted to do ultimately and therefore, the best thing, and this is hyperlogical me, if you don't have a specific absolute goal for yourself, then the best thing you can do is make sure that other people can realize their goal. 
absent your ultimate like thing, then okay, then the best best use of you is being this person. So helping them realize mm. what that goal is, and then trying to create a structure to to make it happen. Yeah, there's something that I mean, I'm seeing more and more of us that we are kindred spirits in this regard because I think I, I don't know if you remember part of my college story. I was like every good Filipino destined to go to medical school yeah. as a neuroscience major, and so almost double majored in math. And so folks, so college Ron Rapitalo, I don't want to say I was hyper-logical. I don't know if I'd use that adjective myself, but I was certainly extremely analytical. Like I could follow a process to a T and just like get things down, right? And yet at the same time, similar to you, starting especially in college, you know, with student activism and student leadership, my empathy really started to show through, right? I was just really like you, for different reasons altogether, right? Yeah. I think it's so fascinating to see you and I are both well-liked and well-respected, but from two totally different angles, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talking about feeling awkward and uncomfortable and therefore like it made you really curious about people learn from others. And I think for me, my hyper extroversion, which anyone who gets to know me knows <laughs> in the dictionary, it's like there's extroverts and there's me to the left of that definition, right? I'm also extremely curious about people because it also feeds me energy, but it comes from this place of this, like, I feel like I'm connected to everyone and not from feeling awkward, but because I think I've always felt this sense of interconnectedness with people from the way I grew up in New York City, Mm -hmm. right? And so in different ways, in terms of like values growing up, we've come to, we're in the same pitching, pitcher's mound. Yeah. Russ. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where... And it, it's so it's such a fascinating story. It goes to the point of what you and I advise people in career and lives. Like it's not everyone's going to come to the destination in so many different ways. It's just do you understand that story and the choices that you're consciously making? I think that's the point of what you're saying. Is like the idea of like alignment, line graph. You know, if I'm thinking of what you're talking about with empathy and structure, I think of the properties of water and. May he rest in peace. My favorite, one of my favorite philosophers of all time, Bruce Lee, you know, be like water. There's way and there's no way, you know, way is structure. No way is empathy, right? I would argue empathy feels like gas, right? It's water. It's just, it's in the air. Empathy is a, empathy is this structure is this, right? Yeah. And understanding that you can blend both and that they do coexist, that there's, multiple truths for people to unwind you know, using pop culture. This, it's like the movie, everything, everywhere, all at once, mm-hmm. right? All these things are all coexisting at once. It's just what story do you decide to tell yourself and pull from in the brilliance of Michelle Yeoh and your existence today, right? Yeah. Developing a, a consciousness about that. Well, and even thinking about like the ability to have disparate things that come together. Like I, I tend to think, I tend to try to have conversations with people about understanding like the interesting intersections. It's the things that come together that people Mm. don't expect to come together that I think are so incredibly compelling. And so, you know, hyperlogical me makes it super easy for me to work with, you know, architects, accountants, lawyers, like who focus on like very sequential steps. Because like, That is the easiest thing in the world to me. There may be aspects for some of those folks that I find a little bit more challenging in terms of like how they're over processing. But I think the ability to blend together and to pull from things that people don't expect of the same person, I think could be incredibly helpful. I think the other thing, like I focus so much on trust. And I think part of why I end up doing so much for free and often doing, you know, having free relationships with folks for months is because I want to build trust and build trust to make sure that the process happens, to make sure that there is movement. And I think so many people are so anxious, have trust issues, right? Uh, Have trust issues about the folks who are coming in, even when I have, you know, most of my stuff is like a very warm lead situation. And so right. even in those situations, people come in 
they're like, so who is this person? What are they going to charge me? Why should I listen to them? And so there is this very weird thing where you're just like, listen, we're not going to work together. We're not going to, you're not going to pay me to do work for you for, you know, we're probably, you're probably never going to pay me. My goal is to set you up for the right person to help you longer term and and, unfor- and it's going to take a little while for us to figure out who that is and what that's about. And that is, in many respects, privilege. The privilege to go yeah. and say, like, hey, that's how you know we're going to make this thing work. And then I'm going to go and follow a process that allows to take that kind of time and give of myself freely. But I think it's so hard to build trust. And so I'm willing to, you know, going back to that earlier question about what the trade-offs are, that's a trade-off I'm willing to make. There are there are folks who are perhaps even well-positioned, but I'm just like, you know what, the amount of work I have to do is re- relatively short. I'll take care of it. No big deal. Yeah. So I'm curious for us, right, because this idea of how you and I build trust, we probably can have an entire podcast series or you and I go back and forth about yes. that, right? But walk me through some of the things you've done to coach people and helping them to build trust, because I would argue that what you and I are really good at is helping people understand that concept, because it's something that we probably spend all of our waking moment thinking about because of the nature of our work. So. You know, if I think back to the first full-time job I had at the Higher Achievement Program, one of the things that I learned in that first job was a successful tutor is often a successful tutor just because they always show up. They may not be the best tutor, but the simple fact that you know what you're getting, they're living up to what the agreement is, makes such a huge difference. And so I think for me, like, I wish I had more of the, like, mammalian thing about, like, being able to be different in places. If I have to go to a, you know, you're talking about your extroversion, going to a bar and doing, like, a cocktail thing is the death of me. Like, I can't, <laughs> I don't drink. Yeah. It's too much noise. Uh, even when I was single and dating, I would go to bars. Like I would bring books with me. Right. Uh, like I just had a really like mm. it's a like it's just it's mm. not my favorite thing. Whereas like conversation, I love. I hear that. And so you know, a lot of it I think is just is yeah. is how is the persistence of that you show up, and then also the persistence you're showing up in the same way. You're the same person. You're consistent. And that hopefully, I think the, the final piece for me in terms of like how I build trust is that you remember, you remember the details, you remember little things. Like I think one of the things that always helped me more than anything, you know, from a networking perspective is my focus is always how do I help the other person? It's not looking for something for myself. It's always like, mm. you know, what are your needs? And then following up on that, right? There's something to be said before we got on this call, I was mentioning that I was chatting with someone yesterday who uh, was running is running a book group. You have a book coming out. She was like a professional development book. Group. I was like, oh, you know, Ron has this thing. I bet that could be something that would be like would help both of them. And so my head right. naturally gravitates towards seeing where those things are useful. It does nothing for me. You know, she gets. She has a new book for their quarterly book club, and she has an author speak. You have people purchasing the book. You have an opportunity to speak. There's no specific win for me um, other than the, the, you know, hopefully this belief that human connection is important and that, you know, that it furthers a worldview around why it matters that people are aware of one another and that there's a there's a greater that there that the connection just makes the world better overall, and I think that's you know from mm. the networking perspective, I think you know I will always talk about like there are folks who are very obviously strip miners, they're going to take and they're going to take and they're going to take and they're never yeah. going to replenish, 
And so you recognize that there are folks in your life who are going to be that way. And I, you know, I tend to think of, I do tend to think of this as like a garden. And you're tending that garden and occasion you have to pull weeds. But the deal is you want to go and think about the people that you care about as a collective and people knowing that you're thinking about them, that you're aware of them, that you're thinking about opportunities. Like I get involved in a bunch of fellowship programs in part because I want to make sure that people who might not know about those programs know about them and perhaps apply and perhaps feel seen and value Mm. and go and do amazing things. Like I think that's, I am so annoyingly hopeful, which is really difficult given also how sarcastic I am. Like it's a very, like my world is like filled with like those things. Like I am like hope is like, it's sort of effervescent. Like I just, I think about things in that way. Yeah. Hope for me is about Mm. connecting really good people to one another so that better things can happen in the world. And you may not know what those things are. I happen to share a birthday with a number of very important and famous people, including Serena Williams and T.S. Eliot, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Olivia Newton-John, uh, rest in peace. But I also yes. share, I share this birthday with, with Johnny Appleseed. When I was a kid, knowing who she shared a birthday with felt like a really important thing. We the newspaper would print out like who was on your birthday. I remember Johnny yeah. Appleseed was like, that concept of like we're planting, we don't always know what's going to grow, but at least we're out there making an effort to connect. And I think trust is mm. about is about consistency and like caring. And I know people sort of like talk about like the idea of champions. You know, it's even funny when you talk when you like introduce me as you know as your mentor. Like I don't think of myself as that as those things with you. I think of myself as a human being who sees you as another human being. And if you're happier and more fulfilled, then the world is better for that. And so it's just a different, like, I don't focus as much on the labels as much as I try to on the overall, like, the good. Mm. God, there's so much there. You know, when you talk about this, the term in Tagalog that I'm starting to play with, this deeply Philippine value that you exemplify is kapwa. So kapwa, interconnectedness, shared unity, we're all in this together. The reason why you build relationships the way that you do and connect people, Russ, comes from this idea of kapwa. And I'm sure there are terms like this in every culture about interconnectedness and shared unity, right? You know, and it comes to this, like, for me as as a child of Philippine immigrants, being able to tie my values to how I've lived the world this collectivist yeah. view of the world, that's how you and I see it. That's where I always have eternal hope, right? Yeah. Is that I see the power when people come together, amazing things happen. And that's what I've seen always in my life, right? That doesn't mean that everyone's in, like how that happens and how people show up. There's all just like when you put a collective people together, how people show up, Yeah, it, it varies, right? But at the same time, it's the, the energy of people and coming together and, and, and how you fit that all together. It's like as a kid watching Voltron in the 80s, right? You know, you have these five separate lines that are stronger right. when they actually combine, right? It just, yeah. for me, it's all, like, and I think for you, it's always made sense that the building of trust comes from in the networking world, which is a big concept in, in my book that's coming out, right? Is just being generous to a fault, yeah. Right. And to be clear, I think what I've seen more and more is that you and I, as as men, do get to take advantage of how people see us being generous, because as a default, I don't think folks generally expect men to be as generous as you and I are. And so I think yeah. I, I, as I've experienced it, right, folks over index that. Right. I, I will have to share with you. I wrote a document <laughs> some time ago that is uh, called, Why Am I Helping You? It's like a page Hmm, and a half. And it's just because people were so shocked at the fact that I was helping them, were so shocked at the fact that I didn't expect something from them, that I would just spend time. I talk about, no, this is a thing that I'm doing, because it was so unusual. I think the other thing that's weird and isn't, again, this is the trade-off that we were talking about from earlier, is like, there's a lot of folks 
now more than ever who are seeking to build a particular, even beyond reputation, like a name, right? And they're and like everyone's looking to monetize. So I was I was I'll try to go humble brag mode. I was uh, I, <laughs> LinkedIn for some reason they were doing this thing with like Generation Z influencers. And they named me a Generation Z influencer, which is crazy and sort of really funny. <laughs> and I was—I like, had no idea that you're a Gen Z influencer. Do you I, get like a badge or some kind of sticker? Or like <laughs> well, they've gotten rid of that program, perhaps because they realize a Generation Z influencer program that includes me—it seems like it's a little sketchy. But they had a couple of conversations <laughs> where they brought together the Generation Z influencers, and every person—so it was mostly people in high school and college. And I am, you know, slightly outside of that bubble. Yes. I did my best to be in a very dark room when we had the conversation so that, that people might not be able to tell my age. And so the, the, there's video conversations. And it was like, it was just really funny about how all people talked about was the monetization, about building their brand. And I just feel like I'm not as directed towards that. And so a lot of times when I have a conversation with someone there isn't this notion of like, well, you know, can I trust them? Are they going to use this in a certain way? Are they going to try to get credit for like, and I think that helps too, mm. because I like being the person who helps the person. I recognize how isolated leaders feel, how they don't have someone who understands all the things that are going on. And I and actually, I think all of us have that. It's just, I think folks who are running larger organizations or scaling up something that's about the issue they care most about feel even more pressing. Mm. I think that's also unusual. And in fact, I, you know, we're, we're talking about like public speaking. I don't, I do not enjoy that. I love a one-on-one conversation. I can go up to maybe four before I start to freak out. But it's like, and maybe it's at the dinner <laughs> and it's just like silly conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's a, like, I, I like to keep things small because I want to dig in on the person as deeply as possible. And so, yeah, it's a really like, it's just unusual. It is, it's definitely an outlier approach. And I think what I've become comfortable with is like trying to chat with folks about like how the thing that makes you different is kind of the thing that makes you amazing and how do you go and find ways to recast the negative story that you're telling yourself or, or even that you're telling others, you're indicating to others. But it's, it's hard, right? It's a, it's, a real, it's a real challenge. And when people feel isolated or they don't feel affirmed by having people around them in their network or as peers, it's harder still, which is why networking isn't just about climbing up in your job or climbing up in your career, although it can help. It's also about your being seen and you're having people that value you and that help you value yourself and that and that are there to tell you in those moments of self-doubt because they're going to happen that, yeah, you're just like, you're like, that's not true. This is the narrative you're telling yourself. This is what I've seen. That's just hard. Mm. Oh my God, Russ, so much, so much, so much there to unpack, but um, I'm conscious of where we are. And so I want to make sure I get, you know, the, the book end of the rondering episode in, which is, Russ, what rondering do you want to share with this audience? I mean, I think we've, 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 we've kind of been going around this quite a bit, but I think that notion of, of basically of authenticity of figuring out who you are, like understanding and be able to have that narrative, like feeling, you know, whether it's feeling that you're an outlier, whether it's feeling that you're an introvert, there is so much to be said for your just figuring out who is, who is the, what do I represent? What are my values and how you learn to share that with others? I, I know I've worked with a lot of people who were in power positions running organizations who left and it feels like the folks who were bullies and who used a title as a way to demand things from people and then suddenly when they were out of power became a different person do much less well than those folks who show up in a consistent way who know who they are 
and lead with that as that same person and connect in that same way. So I think it really is just like the work of figuring out who you are and what you represent. And then you're taking pride in that. You're learning to like appreciate that that difference is a strength because you just have to figure out exactly how to cast it. I think that for me is the thing that I care most about with people. So like helping them find what that like interesting intersection is and to feel good about that in themselves. Russ, you certainly have done that for me. There have been a number of career inflections I've had over the last seven years that I have picked your brain about. You've been really consistent in reaching out to me. And I think some of the consistency that I've seen from you is that because you and I are quite active on LinkedIn and social media, it just allows for there to be a lot of opportunity for you and I to just quote unquote run into each other and talk about things, say, hey, Ron, I saw that. This would be a good time to catch up. And I'm not surprised that the latest post that you wrote about on LinkedIn, which I was going to ask you about, but you already like, put in about this idea of like monetization, right? And that whole monetization of brand is something that is certainly, I think, in this age of like social media and having a generation of folks, your Gen Zers who've grown up with it their entire lives, that that's where there's a lot of, opportunity, right? To be able to create something and be an influencer and whatever you're influencing on could be a show about nothing and being like Seinfeld, you could influence on that, like in in terms of concept, right? When I think about that concept of monetization of brand, I think about it in terms of like spiritual, uh, spiritual perspective, right? Is that, you know, when we have been on earth as humans for as long as we've had, been right taking care of the earth in some ways i think is a manifest i would say is a parallel to this idea of monetizing brand right mm-hmm. is if i think of brand as like trust currency spiritual currency if yeah. you upset that apple cart too much just like the earth is it ah, 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 crazy humans and all this stuff with you know global warming and all these things and what it's just there are lessons in ways that i think I think you and I have a value proposition of a way to do that in a way that fits who we are, right? And I think that's really the point. Like no shade on, because I'm doing it, right? Trying to monetize my brand, honestly, with this podcast, with the book and a public speaking career and other things. But I think there's a way to do it that aligns with values and not upsetting this, I don't want to say delicate, but this way that spiritual currency and trust currency is built that if you upset it brand goes from here to zero really fast if you if you play around with it in my my experience People comport themselves sometimes around goals and they don't always recognize what they're sacrificing and so you know even as you're thinking about the things that you're going to do you know you recognize i want to do x but and and the and you know building generational wealth is important simultaneously being available to my family in the time when they're here is really important mm-hmm. having balance you know you know you're moving towards that 500 pound bench press uh and so like it's like one of those things <laughs> where like you know like how you set up a set of like those goals and and they're puzzle pieces and you've got to figure out how they fit together and you're in a position as most people are to make choices. Yeah. I think that's the other thing. It's like the hardest part whenever you're interacting with someone is when they feel that they've got no choices, whether they're in an institution, they have no choices, whether individual jobs, they have no choices. A lot of the work is just like, well, actually, let's talk about what your choices are here. <laughs> it's helping to say, like, actually, you're here. I understand you're in the weeds of this. And I'm going to try to help you understand what those choices are. And so, like, I think even as you're going through this process yourself, you're just like, okay, if I move, <laughs> there are all these things that you could move, but they're, you know, it's not exactly zero sum, but there's a pie <laughs> in terms of time, and you have to figure out where you're going to pull from when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Well, Russ, we can go on, because I know you and I love to chat and love to yes, get into can. the mix, right? introverted does not mean that I'm not long-winded. And that is, there's a whole like, yeah, that I can go on. <laughs> you and I have had some some lengthy combos over the years. But before I let you go, Russ, I want to give you the opportunity, though this will probably make you feel a little awkward, and I get it, but I'm, a, I'm doing this with all my guests now, is 
what would you like to publicize about the work you're doing or upcoming work that you'd like to let the audience know about? Sure. I, I you know, I do write a weekly thing, um, a weekly thing about careers and leadership at the Washington Post that, that I post through LinkedIn. Folks are welcome to reach out uh, if they want to connect. I'm usually pretty good about that as long as you write something akin to a note. Like even if you just say, hey, I heard this podcast. That would be enough for me to go and say, sure, let's connect. Other than that, I think that my big goal is uh, I'm getting involved. I'm trying some new work these days with some of my founders. So I'm going to be doing a lot more traveling. And I think I'm going to try to publicize more of the founders that I'm doing work with. So there's a really interesting group that's setting up something called Warrant Clinics across the country that I'll start promoting. I think I'm just going to start doing more of that. But if you go to LinkedIn, it'll be there. That, that's it. That's all. I, I mean, I'm happy to be here without any other promotion. Well, Russ, you are not hard to find on LinkedIn. Russ Finkelstein, folks, if you look up that name and if you need, to, if there are several Russ Finkelsteins, you but Russ Finkelstein idealist, you'll be able to find him really easily. But this will be in the show notes, all this information about Russ. But um, Russ, it is a gift to be able to speak with you this weekend. I know that like you, we have a lot going on, but the time that we're able to spend together is just really precious, and I'm grateful for the relationship we've built. So thank you for being a guest on Ronderings. It's, it is my pleasure, and I hope, uh, yeah, I hope there'll be many, many more of these to come. I think so, Russ. I think I've um, bumped into something that I've thought about for some time that um, word goes, I'm going to see. I'm going to trust the energy of the universe, but this feels really good to do this and have the privilege to interview amazing people in my life like you. So, Rondering Spam, over and out. I'll check you out on the other side. Peace. Thank you, Russ, for being a part of the Ronderings podcast. I got to tell you, I am continually floored at how you've used what I think a lot of people would see as weaknesses and area of growth as your superpower, this idea of being able to be uncomfortable in situations, but using that to, to spark conversation, to spark how you see the possibilities for others, knowing that your own story of being in college and seeing that you didn't want to be a lawyer to being able to be curious about people and be a co-founder of Idealists and to be someone who centers people's experiences in your coaching career. Russ, you're just good people. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, y'all. Check you out later.